Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. We're turning our attention once again today to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be picking up in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, reading through Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The one who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it. The one who has lost his life on my account will find it. The one who receives you receives me. The one who receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person shall receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. When Jesus had finished giving, had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. You know, uh, what I see here is that Jesus is calling for a decision. There's no room to be on the fence about who you believe Jesus to be. Uh, we, we must confess him. And we've learned in our culture recently that uh, whatever side we end up on, uh, that may cost us dearly. You know, we call it cancel culture, where if you end up on the wrong side of an issue or you support the wrong person, uh, you will be marked and destroyed. And here Jesus is saying, I need you to uh, get off the fence and confess me. Have courage. Confess me before men. Confess me before your family. And uh, and have an opinion. Have a conviction. And uh, if anyone is too afraid to do that, if anyone is... is cares so deeply about these relationships and alienating someone, then you're going to lose your life. This is a matter where uh, in order to find life, you have to be willing to lose it. Think of verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who, who sent me. So we need to make a decision. Yeah, I think it's Excellent point. It's that Jesus comes first um, in, in all things, um, and, and is greater. Our love for Him should be greater than family relationships, uh, anything of this this life. That He comes first in all things, and that again, that His opinion also comes first. That m- men can 
uh, to Ross point out the cancel culture idea. They can drag our name through the mud. They can say these things about us. But what does Jesus say about us? What God thinks about us is far greater than what any man could think about you or think about me. And that's, that's, our, that's our focus and our attitude is that we are looking to put Jesus first. And also to the verse 37 of the family relationship that we need to make sure we're loving God more than our family, that, um, that God does come first. Okay, well, let's move on in our study. We'll be looking at the death of John the Baptist. It's found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, and in Luke chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. For our purposes, I'm going to look at Mark's account, Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 19, or 29 rather, because it gives us some things that the others do not give. And we'll fill it in as we go along. So Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 14. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is one of the prophets, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead, for Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he had heard him, he did many things and heard them greatly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias's daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it you. He also swore to her, saying, Whatever you ask of me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And he also swore to her, telling, Whatever you ask, I will give half of my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison brought his head on the platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. I, I believe that the death of John the Baptist either brought about the 
mission of the apostles bring to a close or followed their mission very, very closely. As Jesus continued his ministry and the apostles had gone out two by two to the various villages, cities, and towns of Palestine, it was inevitable that word of Jesus and his works would reach the ears of Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee. News of his miracles and the crowds that followed him caused a number of opinions to be expressed. Some thought that Jesus was Elijah, come again. Still others said, no, he was a prophet. But Herod, obviously driven by a guilty conscience, began to think that this Jesus was none other than John the Baptist, the holy man of God whose murder he had ordered back from the grave. I love John the Baptist's attitude here is that there's something that is, is wrong, that is sinful, that Herod is is um, having the, his, the wife of his brother here um, and it, is married to her. And it's, it's wrong. And John doesn't um, say, doesn't shy away from it. I think sometimes we can see sin and we like to almost dance around from the fact of it and, and sugarcoat it and say, well, and, and almost justify it in a way because we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. And I, I think that's absolutely true. We don't want to necessarily hurt their feelings. First Timothy 1.5 talks about our, the goal of our instruction is love. We want a, the best for the other person. And that's what John displays. Is It's not looking at Herod and, and condemning him necessarily and going so harsh on him, but it's also giving him the, the truthful fact that what he's doing is sin. It is wrong. And not shying away from that either. I think there's a fine line on both areas, but I think John is a perfect example of standing for truth and just hits the nail right on the head. You know, we've already considered who Herod, Antipas, and Herodias were. Let's just just give a little bit of further insight into the character of Herod. To do that, we need only to look at Tiberias, which was his capital city. It was located only a few miles south of Capernaum. When Herod built Tiberias, he was enamored by the beautiful scenery and the climate of the region around the Sea of Galilee. He chose the site of his city personally. The difficulty was that the site he chose was a graveyard. Jewish custom prohibited the disturbance of those graves, but Herod dug them up and built his city. Once it was built, He could not get people to live there because of what he had done. So Herod emptied the jails and the prisons of the land to get sufficient population for his new city. Roman writers tell us that Tiberias, after such a beginning, was the vilest of the vile in all of the Roman Empire. I think that helps us understand a little bit more about the character of this man we're dealing with. Yeah, now after having just talked about the limited commission and the courage needed by the laborers in the vineyard, uh, I think John is a great example of one, although not a part of the original apostles. He was one who clearly had the courage needed to be a disciple. He didn't love his life more than Jesus, and and his I mean his willingness to preach the truth and to convict of sin, even though dealing with a man like Herod is a great credit and a tribute to him. 
it's clear that Herod uh, did not want harm to befall John. Uh, but I think there's a great lesson here about the just the foolishness that is uh, the lust of the flesh and, and drinking. You know, it removes inhibitions. Here's a man who does not want to hurt John. He feared John. And yet, because of a foolish oath or a rash vow in, in an offer, ask me whatever you want, I will give it to you. The man uh, gets painted into a corner and does something that he does not want to do. That, that's what's going to come about if we give ourselves over to the lust of the flesh and to drinking. It's amazing, too, that here this woman has an opportunity to have up to half the kingdom, and what does she ask for? She asks for a head. What a, what a terrible missed opportunity that is. And yet it shows, uh, it shows the degree of hatred that Jesus described uh, disciples of Christ would be met with when they preached the gospel. Herodias, she seems to be kind of the evil genius behind this, this event that transpires with the death of John. She simply waited, feeling as she did about John, for a convenient time to have her desire for the death of John brought about. And again, we I wonder why is it so often that the one who is most guilty reacts the most violently before the word of God? So often the only way some see to soothe their battered conscience is by attacking the one who has pricked it with the truth. Well, Herodias received her opportunity when Herod celebrated his birthday. The Herods were noted for their magnificent banquets and celebrations. They aspired to greatness, and to the extent of their ability, they imitated the luxurious feasts of the Roman emperors themselves. This would have been just such a feast, with all of the notables of his region present. In such gatherings during the days of the Roman Empire, it was quite common for prostitutes to present exhibitions of indecent dancing for the titillation of the gathered men. It was not common for a woman of position or respectability to so debase herself. But Herodias used her own daughter, Salome, to gain her desired end. Having danced in such a way to please Herod and his gathered guests, the drunken, besotted king, as you had referenced him, Ross, told the debased girl in the presence of his guests, Ask of me whatever you will, and I will give it to you. Whatsoever you ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. Well, immediately the girl went to confer with her mother. This was Herodias' chance. Finally, she could get what she was waiting for. Having made the pledge in the presence of his guests, Herod's pride would not allow him to renege. He would not fail to fulfill his obligation. He felt obligated to pay anything she wanted. She could have up to half of his kingdom. But the one thing that her mother wanted was the head of John the Baptist. So that is what the young girl was instructed to ask for. And the manner in which she asked certainly seems to indicate that she shared the temperament and personality of her mother. 
The New American Standard renders her request in this manner. I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She made her request straightway with haste. Yeah, I, I, I imagine Herod, and in, in, in especially the way that Mark tells us um, here of how it, it talks about the events of Herod thinking that John the Baptist had risen from the dead and then tells us the story of John the Baptist being beheaded. Imagine his feeling here, as verse 16 will say, when Herod heard about it, he kept saying, saying, he kept saying, John whom I have beheaded has risen. This over and over again comes to mind in the, the shock of of this. And, and we, as we know, John the Baptist didn't rise from the dead, but it made me think of one who is going to be killed and is going to rise from the dead later on and appear to many. I think it's just a um, something that came to mind for me is the reaction that Herod has to the possibility of John being risen from the dead. And that wasn't the case, but there was going to be one that was crucified in a very public uh, fashion, and death could not hold him. I, that just stuck out to me. I'm uh, I'm appalled at Herodias's willingness to, as Greg pointed out, use her own daughter uh, sexually to gratify others. And uh, I, I guess I guess I'm equally appalled at the same seeing the same thing today. I mean, haven't you haven't you seen? fathers and mothers uh, willing to allow their uh, their children especially their little girls to to just dress atrociously and grow, go out and and dance or maybe I'll, I'll put it this way and cheer uh, and I mean I, re- I remember going to elementary school talent shows and things of that nature and just having to look away for fear of being arrested that I'm looking at this from a little child. And I just don't understand a parent or even a father allowing their children to go out dressed in a way that you know is going to cause lust in other people. We need to be protecting our children and not be like the Herodias's of this world. You know, one of the things that comes to my mind when we talk about what Herodias did as far as her daughter was concerned was the situation with Herod. Herod had obviously made a rash promise. If he had been a truly honorable man, he would have rejected the request of Salome as one that was totally outside of the spirit and even the letter of his offer, when you think about it. He could have replied that if that was her request, then his oath was more honored by being broken than it was by being brought about to pass. That's an excellent point, Greg. I'm, I'm glad you said that. You know, when we foolishly vow something, the idea that God would expect us to uphold a sinful vow is just ridiculous to me. I mean, the same thing comes up when we talk about Jephthah. We won't get into him, but if that's what he was asking for concerning killing his daughter, God would not require that for the sake of the the promise that was made with our lips. When King David made a vow to kill Nabal's household and all the men, Abigail comes along and says, you know, don't do this. And, and David thanked her uh, because she had protected him and kept him 
from sinning and coming to bloodshed. So, uh, great point, Greg. This was a foolish vow, and he should have just fessed up to it and uh, and and not uh, not doubled down on the sin. Yeah, we can pretty easily see that Harold or Harold Herod, excuse me, was not an honorable man because of his guest and just because of how he would be perceived in their eyes. He ref- he he did not see how he could refuse the request. The executioner was sent. The forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah, was beheaded. And you think about it. At last, John, and we're talking about a man who breathed the spirit of the wilderness, a man used to using the ground for a bed and the heavens as his cover. At least he was no longer held a prisoner in the dark recesses of Herod's summer palace. The disciples of John came and took the headless body and laid it in a tomb. You know, think of this next time. There's there's people who excel in one little point in life, and that really becomes a, a point of uh, a pride. And uh, you know, they'll stand on the fact that I would never take anything that didn't belong on me uh, to me. I would teach my children if they took something, we'd go back to the store, and I'd make a point of that because that's just really important to me. But I'm on my third marriage, and I've rejected the gospel, and you know, what is the difference here? Here's Herod. It's like, well, I gave my word. I can't go back on my word. I'm a man of my word, and yet look at how far he will go. That just shows the imbalance that is people who justify themselves by some good quality they think they have but it's totally just totally out of balance okay that's going to have to do it for this particular episode today again we appreciate so very much everyone who is listening we encourage you if you are enjoying the podcast to tell your friends that they might listen as well and if you would like to reach us we can be reached at www.nkcofc.com Until next time, thanks for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.